come before you tonight, Lord, having uh, already surveyed our own hearts. Uh, for we know, Lord God, it is it is your will that we continually take an inventory of our thoughts, uh, of our desires, of those things that we love and those things that we reject. And we know, Lord, and many of us through long experience, that um, except we be walking continually in dependence upon the gift of salvation through new life by the Holy Ghost, that whenever we are not walking in faith, believing the promises that you have given so, uh, so freely to all of those in the body of Christ, that uh, apart from that which you give, we have nothing of our own to bring to bear in a world that does not love you, in a world that is headed for judgment. And Father, we desire that we glorify you, we desire, uh, and for the, because you love every person, um, that, that we can reach with the word as many as possible, and we desire, Father, that within the body of Christ that we are found uh, being that pearl of a great price mm -hmm. that is mentioned in Matthew 13, uh, whereby having found that pearl, you basically have concentrated your loving kindness towards that which you have found to be precious, and that is the church of your Son, Jesus Christ. May we serve you well. Lord, may we serve one another well. And may we count all other things in the world to be but that which is to be discarded. But that we will never discard. And we will continue to follow after that great gift of experiencing by faith, the very character 
of Jesus Christ, even as Ephesians 4 has already told us about. So bless each of you tonight. Lord, may we each consider, as the apostle said, the night is far spent. The day, day star will soon be right. And when Christ comes to the earth, will he find faith? May the cry of each of our hearts, dear Lord, we desire that you find it in us. We thank you, Lord. So we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Okay. So, what we have here in Ephesians 4 is so much like what I continually notice we find in many uh, scriptural passages, particularly uh, in those passages that uh, very much delineate the characteristics that will be found in members of the body of Christ. And what I have always seen is that we find those teachings, that is, we find the doctrine, and then we find that the one who has, has explained the doctrine to us then points out that in our behavior, uh, that doctrine is made evident. In other words, that we have apprehended it and that uh, truly by faith, that doctrine is a lie. Uh, and particularly in the early verses of chapter four, uh, we have found the central tenets of the purpose of the church of Jesus Christ. But when we get to verse 17, Paul begins to uh, tell us that as observers, uh, this that he is going to describe is what we see will actually become the manner of the lives uh, of those who have had their hearts exercised by the teachings of the truth of what, in this case, uh, it means to be a member of the church of Jesus Christ and what the results of that are. And so in verse 17, which I ended on last time, I'll just for uh, continuity's sake, I will bring that uh, to our uh, hearing. Verse 17, Ephesians chapter four, uh, Paul says the following. This I say therefore, and testify in the Lord that you henceforth walk 
not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. Now, there's a number of uh, another uh, of key points just in verse 17. Uh, he has told us, for example, in uh, chapter 4, verses 14, 15, and 16, that, uh, you know, we are no more children and that we are not, uh, that, that as we have grown into Christ, we become immune or at least uh, very much uh, uh, not easily influenced by false doctrine. Uh, and that we communicate one another and or we speak one to another uh, in words of truth. That is that uh, the conversation that is most pleasing for us to engage in has to do with the truth that involves the will of God for our lives. And uh, that from that, uh, the whole body becomes fitly joined together. And so we see there the, the idea that uh, within the body, every member is, has a calling and a gifting that they might, each one, serve one another. And there's many things that go with that, and I hope, hopefully, the, the Spirit will bring them to my memory as I'm going through these, for I am dependent upon Him. Um, so the first thing Paul tells us in verse 17 is that henceforth, that is, you know, after what he has told us about what is involved in in how he will build his church, then he speaks to the various members of the church uh, in a way that involves each individual now speaking to the members that you, and you know, that you who are the members of the church from this point forward are henceforth based upon these truths that you do not walk as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their minds. And so I hope all of us know that when Paul talks about walking, he is talking uh, not about the doctrines that we may say we adhere to this doctrine or to that doctrine, uh, we may be talking to someone and say, you know, I believe thus and so, but now it comes uh, to the question of whether or not in our experience, in our actions and our deeds and in our manner of living, that we do not uh, appear uh, regarding our actions we do not appear to those who observe us as to be the same 
observations that they see in those who do not claim Christ. And so, uh, as I often like to quote Christ, uh, that uh, the Lord knows who are his. And then he says, let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Well, what's he talking about? He's talking about our behavior. And I could say he's also talking about how we think. Uh, that is that statement that the Lord Jesus himself made. But particularly here in verse 17 and following, Paul is referring to our behavior that can be observed by others around us, members of the church, uh, members uh, uh, or people who are not members of the church. But our walk is the question. And so, uh, you know, when we get to uh, that description in Ephesians that uh, talks about uh, be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit, from that point forward, Paul begins to talk about uh, how we walk. That is, what is our observable behavior. Um, not only that, he also mentions in verse 17 that many Gentiles obviously do not mimic the nature of Christ in the way they behave. And then he mentions that behind their behavior is the vanity of their own minds. And so uh, we must know, and, and I would say that the order of things is such that, even as I mentioned the, the four characteristics of, of what, it, uh, what happens to those who become conformed to this world, I mentioned in Hebrews, I believe Sunday, are, are uh, from the book of 1 John, not Hebrews, that um, everything in our behavior, you know, it just doesn't start in what you do, it starts in what you think. How do you look upon your own behavior? Um, and that's the place to start. The place to start is not to look at the behavior of others. But the, way, the place to start is to consider very carefully on a regular basis, prayerfully, before God, asking Him to search us, whereby He might find whether or not there is something in our way of thinking, there is something hidden away that uh, we don't want to bring to the surface. There is something uh, that we don't even really want to be uh, 
be a matter of touching our conscience. Because it is human nature, and that is not the nature of God. So I should say it is the nature of sin in the flesh to begin with thoughts, and those thoughts eventually will bring about uh, actions. You know, Paul was, uh, was very clear on this in the, the book of Romans, chapter 8, when, uh, and I'm going to start reading in chapter 8 just for a moment here, starting with verse 5, and let's see what he said. Verse 5 of Romans 8, for they that are after the flesh, now what's he talking about? He is talking about those who may claim Jesus Christ, and uh, I am not the, the arbiter of who truly knows Christ and who doesn't, but uh, those uh, that are walking in a way that is dictated by all of those things Paul calls flesh, uh, which would involve a whole, uh, a whole listing of lusts and a whole uh, cadre of sins of the mind, uh, that other people cannot observe unless we work them out. And Paul says, for they that are after the flesh, and what do they do? It says they do mind. In other words, that's where their head is. Those that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. They, uh, that is a bondage. The way we think is either going to, it's going to be no different than the way we walk. For if we walk rightly before God, we walk in obedience to the power and leading of the Holy Ghost. And there is no difference in the way we think. We either think according to what Paul refers to here as a carnal mind that is a fleshly mind that uh, is continually consumed with uh, those things that are displeasing to God. Well, uh, let me let me give you an example. Uh, how many? Man, I've said this so many times. Uh, we live in an age, for example when uh, pornography is uh, rampant and available to just about anybody on the face of the earth, and it's uh, most prevalent, I believe, uh, in, in the male uh, human being, uh, because uh, males, and this is a truth, are motivated in such things more in their thinking, whereas uh, the opposite sex is uh, 
their dealing with such things has more to do with human contact. And uh, so uh, if you would uh, attend uh, a theater that uh, shows porno uh, pornography and you'd stick your head in the door and see who's there, you will find that 95% of the people there are men. Uh, why? Because this is the way God wired the minds of men. Uh, and I, I don't want to go into that anymore, but if, if my mind is in bondage to the kind of thoughts that I might see in a pornographic uh, movie, then I am just as bound by sin as if I were participating in those things with my body because sin starts in the mind. And when it starts in the mind, it will be, if it is entertained, it will be just a matter of time until it makes its way into the behavior. And so what goes on, my friends, that maybe we don't spend enough time talking about is has to do with what we think. And so what does Paul say here in Romans 8? For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. So there we have an absolutely black and white contrast between uh, the thinking, uh, the details of the thinking of the one who is going to walk in a way that pleases God uh, and the thinking of the one who is going to walk in those things that pleases the desires of the flesh uh, and the uh, desires of the, of the fallen carnal mind. And then in verse 6, Paul says, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. You know, it's interesting to me as it is in, in so many things that there's no gray area here. I mean, if our mind is set upon God, if we, if we heeded that which Moses first told Israel, that we should love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength, that if our, if our mind is there, then we're, we're not going to be in a gray area. But the moment we depart from our love for God in our thinking, the moment we begin to allow our minds to be controlled uh, by those things that satisfy what, what Paul calls sin in the flesh, then we are in sin. Then we are not walking according to faith. And so... Then it seems that there's something added to the life. It's not just life, but it's life and peace. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Something added. 
which verse are you referring to? Yeah, yeah, for to be spiritually minded is life and peace. And uh, that's a really good uh, observation. Jill's made an observation. The observation is this, that when we're talking about the carnal mind, that may be the mind of a believer who has uh, been born again. Nevertheless, the flesh is still calling out to, to have charge in that life. And that then therefore that person can end up with a carnal mind, uh, which is opposite of the spiritual mind. And with the carnal mind, they will not any longer be, be living the abundant Christian life. Uh, they will not have abundant life because they will find themselves uh, consumed with darkness. For as, and, and Christ made this statement, for as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And therefore he will not experience life in, the, in those moments and he will be absolutely uh, uh, troubled, not, not calm in, in the peace of God. Mm -hmm. And so we cannot separate what goes on our minds uh, from the working of that salvation, that living person who is our life. And so in other places in the scripture, I find, for example, let this mind be in you. I find, for example, for you have the mind of Christ. That is like saying it's there. If you are born again, the mind of Christ is available. If you choose that by faith, that will become your thinking. But in the moment you depart from having your eyes upon, upon Christ, you, you turn your eyes away from the light of the truth of God, and you begin to contemplate those things that call from the flesh, you will no longer experience peace. It only begs the question, how many of those who call themselves by the name of Christ, I, I must tell you that many have come to me troubled because they find, even though that no one may point at the way they behave in their walk and say, you are walking according to the works of the devil, but they come to me because they are troubled about what other people can't see that they know, which is the workings of their own minds. And so even the Old Testament scripture tells us to guard our hearts. We must guard our minds. And so what does Paul go on to say in verse 7 of Romans 8? Because the carnal mind is an enemy of God, for it is not subject to the law of God neither indeed can be. 
and the conclusion there is so then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Now when he, I'm not going to go any more into that, but when he says those who are in the flesh, the next thing he explains to us that you are, there is a difference between being in the flesh, which is a description of a lost man. But the difference is that there are those who have received Christ and they are not considered by Paul in Romans 8 to be in the flesh, but they are considered to be thinking or walking according to the flesh. And I learned a long time ago how to think about that. And if you're wondering, in fact, I've had people call me on the phone and say, I feel so wrong about the thoughts of my mind. Uh, and those people feel condemned. Uh, they feel uh, as, as bad as if they actually had committed the sin itself. And so what goes on in our minds, my friend, is not to be considered less important than what is presented in our outward behavior. And I would say that actually what goes on in our minds is much more important because if we keep our minds on Christ, we will, we will therefore have reason to receive and believe his promises and then our walk will be also pleasing and so it must begin in the way we think it must begin with our willingness i hope you catch this our willingness to turn every thought over to the authority of almighty god himself for the scripture says that the work of Christ uh, for us is to bring every thought. Now that's a, that's a mouthful. Every thought into conformity with the righteousness of his life. Can I say something? Yes. And Jill wants to speak again. Yeah, again. Uh, I'm, I'm back. No. <laughs> um, this is some. This is something I've, I think a lot about. And Judith and I talk a lot. Of course, she's my sister. But this is one of the things that the body is is meant to work. Is that sometimes the things that we think, especially for me, I sometimes things will pop into my head, and I'll I'll call Judith. I'll be like Judith. This popped in my head. I'm having a hard time. I don't even know if I can say it, but I'll get it out. I'll say it, and her and I will deal with it scripturally. Present it before the Lord out loud, yeah. her and I. Because if I don't, then it has room to play. Yes. I mean, it can even be just an accusation, or it can be a doubt that Satan yes. me for. Yes. Or something to make me feel guilty or bad. Or I mean, it could just be a little thing or a big thing or anything. There's no such thing as a little okay. thing or a big thing. But 
sometimes we need each other. And I think that's one of the things about the body is that we should feel comfortable enough to be able to say, you think that we haven't thought those things before? Absolutely. Yeah. It's because also a good thing between husbands and wives. It is between husband and wives and sisters or, you know, but yes, husband and wife talk to Mike about it. Things I'll be like, do you, do you believe I thought that? Is it something I can't say to Judith? Or maybe I'm mad at Judith, right? I don't care. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I mean, but so those things don't fester, bitterness or that's something. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Give no place to the devil. That's right. Give no place because it will fester. Neither let the sun go down on your wrath. Something, something came into my mind uh, a week ago at late in the dark hours of the night. And I find that these things come often when you are the most tired, mm -hmm. when you are the weakest. The, the enemy uh, will use that as an occasion to, uh, however it is done, to, to uh, suggest yeah. Yeah. something to your mind. Yeah. And I remember in this particular case, I, 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 I thought in my heart, I cannot lay down here and go to sleep until I have overcome this thought of my mind. Uh, for the longer we nurture mm -hmm. that thought, yeah. it will work in us like gangrene yeah. and it will spread. And uh, later on, I hope to say a little more about that. All right. Um, so many, many Gentiles, or the Gentiles walk in the vanity of our, their minds. That is the absolute futility of their thinking. Uh, Paul goes on in verse 18 and describes that. Having the understanding darkened. Uh, this is, again, referring to the walk of the Gentiles that Paul is saying to these people who, who have testimony of being members of the church of Jesus Christ. This, he is saying, uh, you should be 180 degrees opposite in your mind and in your life from the walk and the thoughts of the Gentiles. Having the understanding darkened. If we went back in Ephesians and looked at the two prayers, there's so much emphasis put upon understanding. Gentiles uh, who are without Christ, uh, all those who are lost, I should say, uh, their understanding is darkened. If we went to Romans 3, we'd read those words. There is none that understandeth. No, not one. And so they have their understanding darkened. They are alienated. This is sounding really serious. Yeah. They are alienated from the life of God. Why? Through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their own hearts. You know, I've had so many opportunities to interface with those having a testimony with Jesus Christ, uh, particularly in some that, uh, uh, you know, uh, I would spend time with discipling them. And anybody that's 
been discipled by me uh, knows that uh, what you're, uh, and I can also say that there are many who fall away from that process. But uh, if you are going to be discipled, it is going to take a long, long time because the scripture is so full of, uh, of the truth that brings us into conformity to the life who is the only righteous life in the universe. And so what word or what would be one of the primary words that I would use for that group of people uh, who may call themselves members of the church, God knows who they are, but there is no doubt that in describing Christendom, one of the primary words that would be in the first two or three that of description would be ignorance. Ignorance. It's not only they don't know the word, they don't know, uh, they don't know Matthew from Genesis. Uh, they don't know the Bible story of Noah and the flood from uh, the story of uh, Christ uh, turning uh, a few loaves of bread uh, into the abundance to feed 5,000. I mean, even the little children's stories they know very little about, let alone get somewhere in the scripture and start out with one who is unschooled in the basic elements of what it means uh, to have received eternal life and and go into uh, the book of Hebrews or go into the book of uh, Galatians or uh, almost any epistle and they will be absolutely incapable of, of uh, benefiting from the teaching in that particular epistle. Now, I didn't just say this. Paul said it in Hebrews. He said, you uh, people that I'm writing this letter to are unskilled in the word of God and you cannot stand or stomach strong meat. It'd like be trying to feed a two-month-old child, uh, uh, you know, a uh, T-bone steak. <coughs> You can't do that. You have to wait till they grow up. You know, they got to get some teeth and they've got to develop, uh, uh, you know, the gastrointestinal system in such a way that they can stomach those things. Christians are no different. Uh, but if, if ignorance is one of the very negative things that, that Paul states, is that which separates uh, unbelieving Gentiles from God. Should it be something that is named and something that is prominent in the church of Jesus Christ? And that's a rhetorical question. 
uh, all of the, the answers to those you should know. Um, and so these people, without having understanding, they are alienated from the life of God uh, by the ignorance and the blindness. It isn't that they forgot, it's that they're blind. They can't see. And so, you know, if I want to, if I want to sit down with a believer and uh, talk about the fact they were forgiven uh, because Christ shed his blood for them, uh, hopefully, if they are a believer, that they will know that. I don't see how they could be saved without knowing it. However, if I moved one iota past that, and I say, now, well, let's talk next about adoption. Let's talk next about sanctification. Let's talk next about identifying with the cross of Jesus Christ, whereby as many of us were baptized into Christ, were baptized into his death. And if we've been planted in the likeness of his death, we shall also uh, be raised in the likeness of his resurrection. And I start to talk about that. I have to tell you, this happened to me just this week. Um, there was no ability uh, for the uh, babe in Christ, who had, I think had been a babe for many years, uh, couldn't understand it. Never heard of it. How can this be? And so Paul is saying that the Gentiles are blind. Surely those who, if the church is functioning properly, surely those who are members of the church, who make even the smallest of sacrifice to walk away from uh, their uh, recreational activities even on a Sunday morning, surely uh, they would come to know something whereby they uh, would not be blind to the majority of the scriptures that God says are absolutely essential in our growing up in righteousness. How can this be? Nevertheless, I find the average individual in Christendom, with a few exceptions, that look at what goes on in the Church of Jesus Christ regarding bringing men to the fullness of the stature of that person, they just kind of look at it as you can take it or leave it. I mean, after all, if your sins are forgiven, you're okay. Why worry about anything else? Let's eat, drink, and be merry. And let's get out of this world what we can get out of it. I mean, we're saved after all. I think as we read on here and in so many other places, if you've been following First John on Sunday, mm -hmm. uh, uh, you're going to hear another message. And just about any place, quite frankly, 
that I open uh, in the scripture, even the New Testament, I find that God is very serious about calling men to himself. And, uh, you know, if he promises that he's not going to begin a good work in it, he's not going to finish, then uh, there ought to be a major progression somewhere along the line. Okay, now what about these Gentiles uh, that are supposed to have a walk that is absolutely contrary to the walk of those who have been brought into the fullness of Christ according to the doctrines uh, in the first half of uh, the book of Ephesians, and particularly chapter 4, but the whole book, and, and many other scriptures that these people, verse 19, Ephesians chapter 4, who being past feeling have given themselves over into lasciviousness, that is license, that is that they are, that anything goes. I, I am so, I am so troubled to tell you that on a daily basis, Christendom is coming to look at Christian experience as whatever you feel good about in your inner man, whereby you can just kind of take a look anytime and see, see uh, what, how your God, who is the God of your own life, how he leads you, then if you feel good about it, it's okay. And we are not here to judge you, heaven forbid. We are not here to talk to you about sin. We are not here to talk to you about the prevailing teachings of our day, whereby the very foundations that we find in the first three chapters of the book of Genesis having to do with God made them male and female uh, is, uh, is a teaching that uh, they can just decide to discard uh, because it's not convenient. No. These people are past those kind of feelings. These people that are characterized by the lives of Gentiles who aren't believers and now what, remember what Paul is saying. He is saying that, that I am giving you the truth of what is the function of the church of Jesus Christ. And now I'm going to tell you about people who walk outside of that. And it better be found that you aren't like them. Anybody would disagree with that? No, that's what he's saying. And so what does he say? He says uh, that their, their past feelings, uh, they have given themselves over unto license. That means that anything goes. Uh, if it feels good, do it. In order that they might work all uncleanliness with greediness. 
But you, verse 20, have not so learned Christ. I hope so. I hope so. I hope that in the church of Jesus Christ, that there are many, many that I, I can't find. Uh, I know they're out there. Uh, and there are some good teachers out there. Uh, but by and large, uh, in regard to the zeal of the average participant in Christendom, there is not much thought given to what actually constitutes the righteous walk of the one who grows up into Christ. And so Paul goes on, you have not learned this from Christ. And I could, I could point out and spend the rest of this evening and uh, tomorrow I could point out and talk about all of the things that is are going on in Christendom that could be characterized that you have not learned this from Christ. Verse 21. If so be, you've not learned this from Christ, if so be that you have heard him. And if the life that I've just described belongs to the Gentile, it is quite uh, uh, often the case or always the case. You haven't heard him at all. They haven't heard him. If so be that you have heard him and have been taught, gee, it doesn't say Dave Bentley, it's just been taught by him. And so men are not the primary teachers. You can just go to John 14 through 16. You'll find these words. That when the, the spirit comes into the world, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Oh boy, judgment. We don't want to bring that up in the church today. We don't want to think about, uh, you know, uh, uh, hundreds of millions of, of beings that were made thinking and feeling and with emotions that were made according to a certain image which was of God who one day will stand before him and Christ will speak and he will say, I have never known not one of you. And I believe the scripture teaches that the number of those will be so much larger than the numbers that he can look at and say, I have loved you well and you have loved me. And so, and so if you've heard him and you've been taught by him as the truth, and it is the truth that is the only thing. Of course, what we are being taught, progressively taught, 
in uh, modern post that I should say postmodern Christianity are the same words that Pilate spoke when he was faced with the savior of the world. And Pilate said, what is truth? That's exactly what's going on in Christendom today. Because there is no definitive truth. This Bible is said by so many that have the biggest and the bestest churches in the world. Not all, but so many. This word is said, oh, you know, this is not objective truth. Uh, it may be that if we read it long enough, uh, God will somehow speak to us, uh, but not through the words. You know, they forgot that God said that uh, you shall live not by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. They forgot all about that. And they say, well, maybe it is, uh, even though we know that this book that we hold in front of us is not definitive truth. It is not inspired, that there it is nothing but filled with errors and contradictions. And this, you cannot come to God by this. Maybe if you read it long enough, somehow through some part of it, God will speak to you through the, out of the depths of your own internal capacity to know the God that is within you. And then you can say, that God may have used uh, some of this writing somewhere uh, to become the word of God to you. That's, uh, it, this is what's being said. And I don't mean just being said once, it's being said across the face of this earth in those places where there is even uh, a name of Christianity and you must know that there are many places across this earth where uh, Christ is, is not even allowed to be taught. And so what is that? Yeah. All right. And so if so be that you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that then something ought to be true about your life. And that's when we get to verse 22. And what does it say? Now in the King James, it says that you put off concerning the former conversation of the old man. But that is not what, how it should be translated from the original. It should be translated that you have put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. Now I can tell you that not too long ago, I talked to a, a someone that I think is, is a, a babe in Christ. And, you know, uh, I said, you know, you, you died in Christ. What? Uh, have you ever heard that before? No. 
No, this person said, no. You know, so I had to spend the next 30 minutes, and I, I hope I was uh, that God got through, but uh, going to uh, maybe six or seven passages that tell us that uh, it, when we were baptized into Christ by the Holy Ghost, we were baptized into his death. I had to go to verses that say, uh, where Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he said, uh, I judge that if one died for all, then all are dead. I had to go to Colossians, which said, for you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. And, and I, I picked two or three other pieces of scripture that let's go there. Let's go to Galatians 2.20. Uh, and, and I say, what does it say? And that has always been the way I have had to, to uh, and I rarely use this word, to challenge those who, who are calling themselves Christians. I have to take them to a piece of scripture. I almost have to take them by the scruff of the neck, point their noses towards it and say, what does that say? And after a while, eventually, God gets through to them and they say, I never knew that. And invariably, the next thing that comes out of their mouth is, why didn't anybody ever tell me this before? <laughs> That's the first thing I said after I received Christ. I said, why didn't anybody ever tell me? You know, I was, I was in my early 20s. I'd been in church. I'd been baptized. The first thing that came out of my mouth is, why didn't anybody tell me this before? How can that be? How can it be that our churches are filled with people that, that if brought, are brought to see the saving grace through faith in the work of Jesus Christ, that after having discovered it, not like God was hiding it, that they have to say, why did anybody ever tell me that before? Yeah. Uh, I won't spend the hours I ought to spend on talking about what's the answer to that question. But the truth is, in verse 22 of Ephesians chapter 4, that we have put off. Concerning the former behavior, that word conversation, if you're looking at King James, means behavior that you have put off concerning the formal, former behavior, the old man. And I don't get, I don't get too riled up by, uh, you know, a prominent theology which actually I held, I held uh, myself early on because I didn't know any better. I didn't know the scriptures well enough, even after I was ordained uh, as, as a, you know, uh, somebody put their stamp of approval on me as being fit to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. At that time, I did not know that, that we do not have two natures. I thought we had a new nature, and I thought we had an old nature. 
and that they were like cats and dogs fighting each other. And, uh, you know, it's like that person said, well, which one's going to win? And somebody said, the one you feed the most. Mm -hmm. Well, it, there might be some truth in that statement, but there is no truth in the fact that we have two natures. And I know that because there is not one place in the scripture that tells me we do. And the one that I have my thumb on right now, verse 22 in Romans, uh, in Rome, or pardon me, in Ephesians 4, is often used to prove that we have two natures. Because they forget or don't know enough or to look, look it up and find out that we have already put on the former behavior of the old man who the scripture says is dead. And it makes it so much easier. And you can go to somebody and say, okay, the blood of Christ cleanses you from all sin. But uh, what's your problem going forward? And they're going to say, well, you know, I've still got this old nature and I'm dragging him around and, and uh, I'm, I'm two natures and sometimes I live in the one and sometimes I live in the other. No. And that's time when I say, I got the news for you, my friends, the gospel, all of it is good news. I got good news for you. The good news is that you're dead. That person you're talking about, you're having trouble with, is dead. And the only thing that remains is what Paul correctly calls it, sin in the flesh. But it is not a person. It is, a, it is that body that we carry that is yet to be redeemed. Your body, if you're a Christian tonight, has not yet been redeemed from the fall of Adam. But it will be. And if you want to read about that, you say, well, please don't. You Don't go to another piece of scripture and make us go through that again. So I say, go to Romans 8 and read about the creation and read about that the creation is waiting for the adoption of the body where we no longer will have in our bodies that which Paul refers to as sin the flesh. All right. I will bet you that almost I don't hardly care where you go. You can go in some of the best Bible teaching churches in, and, and there aren't that many, but if you can go there and eventually you're going to find out that they teach two natures. Because they haven't listened to Paul and they haven't considered the truths that expressly claim that your old man died. 
power thing is like it's been dealt with as well. Well, so that that is where the power thing yeah. is. So. Yes, and uh, th that that and talking to someone just recently, and I told them that this is why, according to Romans six, according to Romans six, sin shall not have dominion over you. Why? Because you are dead. And so the only way sin is going to take charge of your life is where you are going to fall away from what is true faith and what God says are the facts of your salvation. And the facts of your salvation are that when Christ died, you died. Read it in Romans 6. Read it everywhere in the scriptures. When Christ died, you died. When Christ was buried, you were buried. And when Christ rose from dead, you, you rose from the dead in the, in the newness of life. And how can you accept one of them and not accept the other? Right. Do we only hear what we want to? Mm -hmm. All right. And so after we understand verse 22, I know my time's getting uh, very narrow now, that you, you have been taught with the truth that you put off concerning the former behavior of the old man, which you have put off the old, the former uh, behavior of the old man, which is corrupt according to deceitful lusts. And do what? Now remember, that, that sin in the flesh is there. And so what does Paul say? What to do about him? Romans 6. Reckon yourselves therefore to be what? Dead. Indeed unto sin. Indeed. Alive unto God. And the sin and alive unto God. That's right. Okay. Now, that you must take by faith, because the fact is you're dead. Now you've got to say to God, I believe it, and I'm going to walk by it, and I'm going to put my faith in it, and I'm, uh, that is where my hope lies. First, that I'm dead. Second, that I'm alive. And, and as I told one this week, I said, this is why. You cannot find for me any place in the New Testament where the scripture says that Christians are those who believe are sinners. I said, you look it up. It's not there. Why? That's not who you are. That may have been who you used to be. But we are not sinners any longer. Why? Because that man died. That man died. Aren't you glad? Yes, amen. amen. Glory be to God. And then we are to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. Now that really goes back to all I said up front. How we think. That's what Romans 12 2 tells us. You know, these people that tell us the scripture continually uh, contradicts itself. All I can find is the scripture or continually uh, confirms itself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I read here that 
we need to be renewed in the spirit of the mind. I read in Romans 12 too, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed how? By the renewing of your mind. Oh, gee. Uh, I ought to take one of these people and uh, begin to go through the scriptures that confirm, confirm, confirm. And say, well, you go to the Old Testament, it's all different altogether. I get back in the Old Testament, I confirm, I confirm, I confirm that, that there was a Savior coming. I confirm that he was born of a virgin. I confirm that he is, uh, he is uh, of the seed of David. Uh, I confirm that uh, he would become the king of the world. Uh, and on and on and on. Confirm, confirm, confirm. Because this word that I have in my hand is not the word of man. If it were written by men over a period of 2,000 years, it would have been filled with errors. It would have been useless. But it was the Holy Spirit who who breathed into the men who wrote it that every word that God wanted here was exactly the word. That's how we depend on it. Okay. Verse 24. Not only be renewed in the spirit of mind, but that you... And again, it is not that you put on the new man. It is that you have put on the new man. Which after God is created, how? He is created. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Confirm, confirm, confirm. Oh my, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. He's new. No, he wasn't created uh, in space and time 10 million years ago. He was created when that man got born again in space and time. God created him how? Out of nothing. He spoke it. Just like he spoke the earth and the creation. He spoke it, but mind you, he spoke it based upon the fact that he had done what was necessary to bring it to be, because Christ had paid man's price, for Christ had bore sins, for Christ had become sin on that cross on our behalf. For Christ raised from the dead so that we might also walk in newness of life. Confirm. Confirm. And so, we have put on the new man, which after God is created, how in 
righteousness. You want to see how crazy Paul was about this? You want to see how much Paul truly believed that he did not have two natures, he had problems with sin in the flesh, but that when it came down to explaining his behavior that did not please God, in Romans 7, when he said these words, he said, when I do those things that I should not, or that uh, are contrary to the righteousness of God, you know what he says? He says, I find that is not I. That's not me. That's not who we are. Why? Because you are one thing. If you are in Christ, you are created. All things have, old things have passed away, all things become new. And you are not a sinner. But if you sin, then you have fallen because you did not believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ as applied to your life. And at the end of Romans 7, Paul said as much. And then in Romans 8, he told us what the answer was. He said, he said, then the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the laws. Now, I can't teach a class all of these things in great detail in one setting or in a hundred. Nevertheless, I can read these words in Ephesians chapter 4, and I know where they came from. Mm -hmm. And I know that I am not taking this word of God and, and uh, putting my own little kind of spin on it like some politician. I am simply and, and have confirmed over and over again to the, to the absolute perfection of satisfaction in my life, that these truths I will stake and everybody else ought. Mm -hmm. I will stake my eternity on. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. I will say, Lord, if these things not be true, then, then I, am, I have no hope in eternity. And I know they are true. That's, that's what was at stake. What is at stake in regard to the truth of God is eternity. And therefore, it is not to be taken lightly. Therefore, we should be saying, Lord God, I want to know it all. And we shouldn't, quite frankly, be just waiting around. I, I so much appreciate people who are faithful to those times when the body comes together to meet. But it's like one person I asked just recently. I said, I said, do you like to read? I said, oh, yeah, I love to read. I said, write this down. Normal Christian life. Watch my knee. And I told that person 
what he had done in brief and how he died. And he said, before he got off the phone, he said, I've already got it over. There's so much out there, friends. We shouldn't just simply wait around because there's two meetings a week. You got a Bible. Use it. All right. So we have put off the old man. We have put on the new man. He is created by which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Why do we know that when we sing the song, when the saints go marching in, or we read about the saints that will stand before God, or we read about the saints and the church of Jesus Christ. He's talking about us. You think you don't deserve that title? God could call you nothing else. If he called you anything else, he'd be telling a lie, which God cannot do. Because when he made you a holy one, justified you by the gift of righteousness, not according to the works of the law, but by a gift of righteousness because of the work of Jesus Christ, you and I who believe are saints. We're going to enjoy. We're enjoying many privileges of sainthood right now. But we're going to enjoy more. And it's going to last forever. So what's your problem now? Okay. I got a few. You got a few. What are they to be compared to eternity as a holy one? Mm. I have not seen. They're entered into the heart of man. Those things that God has prepared for those who love him. But they are revealed to us. You don't have to wait to you get to heaven to see this, to know it. They are revealed to us by his spirit. God bless you all. There's so many more things I wanted to say. No, Bless your heart, Miss Betty. There's so many things. Pray for me that one day I will be able to talk to you in words that God has put on my heart about exactly the nature of the love of God that's in us.
where I know I haven't scratched the surface of. We ought to hear it. God ought to have it said. Let us pray together. Father, how unsearchable. Is your love. And we must remember when we say that, Lord, that you've told us that your love is shed abroad in our hearts. Then is that not unsearchable, Lord? Yes. How marvelous are your ways best by me now. How great is your name in the universe and beyond the universe and before the universe and after the universe. And you are not ashamed to say that we are sons and that your son is not ashamed to call us brethren. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for such, such a marvelous, unspeakable salvation. Bless these people. Work, I pray, in each one of us, whereby those things that we may have hidden away so they couldn't prick our conscience. Dear Lord, I pray for each one of us, you would, through whatever means necessary, Bring them out of the darkness into the light. I believe that you do this kind of good work. Thank you, Father. Bless these people. For we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.